As they're heading out, good morning. I have the honor and the privilege to be the first uh, to welcome you to the first Sunday of the year 2018. So welcome. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. And congratulations, because as of right now, you have perfect church attendance for the year 2018. Now, we'll see how many of those we can string together, but right now you have perfect attendance, so hang on to that. Uh, maybe for some of you, this is the first time that you've stepped f- foot into church in quite some time, and maybe it's because you've made a resolution, uh, a, a resolution for a new year, and that resolution includes faith. Uh, and so here you are this morning, and if that's you, we, we want to welcome you. We're glad that you are here. I'll say that again. We're glad that you're here. Uh, And I would say, I might be biased, but I think that this is a pretty great place to be if you're trying to figure this new thing out, this faith thing out. Um, And speaking of resolutions, has anybody made any resolutions for the new year? Are willing to admit it? (laughs) Harry's the only one? I doubt that. Anybody? Is anybody? You don't have to say it out loud. Just, yeah, some people are like, yeah. Um, Yeah, resolutions. Some of you guys have made resolutions for the new year, and I just want to say, I hope uh, that today, Sunday, January 7th, that you are still holding fast to those New, Year res- New Year's resolutions because I know that they can kind of dwindle quickly. Uh, I personally, I don't really make New Year's resolutions. Part of that is probably because I'm lazy. Uh, the other part is because I have a fear of failure, fear of the gym, and did I mention I'm lazy? So I, I don't tend to do that. But for you guys who do make resolutions, I, I encourage that and I applaud that. And so uh, this past week, as I was, as I was thinking about New Year's, uh, I noticed on social media, there's a lot of talk about New Year's. Uh, there's the phrase, New Year, New Me, New Year, New You, going around. Uh, and then I came across one that I particularly liked, and it was called Resolution Fails. Okay, hashtag Resolution Fails. And these are people who've made their New Year's resolutions, but haven't been able to keep them. And so, uh, as I read through some of those, I thought, I'm going to compile some of these and bring these guys to you so that we can uh, laugh at these people collectively. And so uh, it's been making its rounds through social media. It was on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. But here are some of the ones that, that I found quite amusing. Uh, the first we have here is at Corrupted Turnip. Don't ask me about the name. I have no idea. It sounds like some weird college band that I heard in, or in college. Uh, my resolution was to read more, so I put the subtitles on my TV. Got to keep your goals in, within reach, right? Right. So here we go. Next one, at Isabella's G123, my resolution was to make better decisions. Four days later, I got stuck in a baby swing and had to call the fire department to get me out. <laughs> I don't know how you got stuck, but next, we have at Ischief5, I promised to stop honking at people while driving, so now I clap instead. If you see me applauding you, it means you messed up. Next, we have at Westy1112. My New Year's resolution is to give up Twitter. So far, so good. <laughs> at Worthy Inc., my New Year's resolution is to be more positive and less sarcastic. Like, I won't screw that up right away. <laughs> I particularly like that one. At, last but not least, at Abby, Abby Dingle, my resolution January 1st was to lose 15 pounds. As of today, I only have 20 more to go. <laughs> hey. She's got a good attitude about it. I like that. So hopefully, hopefully if you've made New Year's resolu- resolutions, that you are doing a little bit better than these folks are. And you know, one quick thing about the resolution thing. 
I mentioned I don't make those resolutions, and I'm as cynical as they come, and often I have my doubts about resolutions, but the more I thought about it, it's a natural thing. As the old is on its way out and the new is on its way in, we kind of naturally gravitate toward that change and toward that shift from old to new, and that's a good thing. Resolutions aren't bad. Assessing our lives, uh, the good and the bad, and wanting to see different, better things is not a bad thing. In fact, I would say we probably need more of that. Maybe we should start every quarter that way, or every month that way, or why not let's start every day that way, because every day could be made new. I know you guys uh, love the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament, and in Lamentations it says that his mercies are made new every morning. And so every day we have a new year, or sorry, every new, every new year, we, we get a new year every day. Whew, that was tough. And that's a good thing. So enough about resolutions. We're going we're to set that aside for just a second. So last Sunday, Scott stood here, and Scott kind of put a bookend to our Advent series and our Advent season. And next week, Jerry's going to stand here, and he's going to launch us into a whole new teaching series on the life of Jacob. And we're going to call that Wrestling with God. And so once again, here I am. I find myself in the middle uh, of two series, of two seasons. We finished Advent, and we're going to start something new next week. And here I am. And so I thought, what should we talk about? What should we get into this morning? And so uh, as I was asking myself that question last night at about midnight, um, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I started before midnight. I started at like 10. Um, but as I was asking myself that question, uh, and as I was thinking through what we might look at this morning, I was thinking about the season, this new year that we're celebrating. And I thought, you know what? As Christians, we are made new. Scripture tells us that we are made new in Christ. And so how, how, when we come to this Jesus, when we come to follow this Jesus, our lives are changed. This baby whose birth that we just celebrated, when we come to know him, Scripture tells us that we are made new. And so this morning we're going to look at the, the letter to uh, the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along there, or the Bible app on your phone, or it'll be on the screens as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're actually going to go through the whole chapter. Verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan under our burden, because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight." Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. But we ourselves are well known to God, and I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. 
We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all so that those who, might, who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So quickly, before we jump into what we're going to look at in chapter 5, just a little bit of context on this letter, on 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote his first letter to the church in Corinth, which we call 1 Corinthians. You guys got this. This is fantastic. After Paul wrote his first letter, he got word back that there was a little bit of a rebellion happening in the church. There were people in the church who were saying things like, who does Paul think he is? Who is he to tell us what to do? He has no authority over us. And they even looked at Paul and said, look at him. He's beaten. He's broken. He's bruised. He's been shipwrecked. He's been thrown into prison. Surely he's not the guy he said he was because if he was, he wouldn't, none of those things would happen to him. And so they're questioning Paul's authority. And so Paul gets word that there's this group who are essentially leading this little rebellion. And Paul's response to this little rebellion is the letter 2 Corinthians. In fact, Paul even describes this letter that he's writing to them in chapter 7 as a severe letter that's going to cause them sorrow. That's not something you want to see in a letter written to you, right? And so Paul is challenging the Corinthians. He's basically saying that rebelling against him, rebelling against his leadership and his authority, is essentially rebelling against the gospel itself. And in regards to the claims that he's weak because he's been beaten and broken and thrown in prison... uh, he, 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 he sums that up in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, and he talks about treasures in jars of clay, that the outward might waste away, but the in, that internally there's hope, internally there's renewal. And Paul tells the Corinthians, hey, you're kind of looking at this the wrong way. I've been bruised, I've been beaten, and I've been broken, and I run into trouble. But do you remember how Christ died? He was beaten, he was broken, and he was hung on a cross. Brokenness pain and sorrow are no more a sign of weakness. Death didn't win that day. Brokenness and pain and sorrow paved a way for reconciliation and for redemption and salvation and hate and injustice and greed paved a way for love and peace and hope and something new. And so that's just a little background on the letter and we're going to focus in on chapter 5 which we just read through. And for those of you guys who are um, maybe more uh, attentive than others, you may have noticed something in the first two verses. Paul mentions an earthly 
tent. He mentions it several times. And if we think back two weeks ago on Christmas Eve, Jerry stood up here and he talked about a tent. And he gave us the image of Jesus literally setting up a tent in our front yard, moving into the neighborhood, right? Well, someone among us uh, took the liberty of actually putting a tent in Jerry's front yard after Jerry gave that message, and I have a picture of that to share. There's Jesus setting up camp in Jerry's front yard, and Jerry challenged us that when we went home that day that we would wave to Jesus in our front yard, and so there he is right there in the tent visiting Jerry. And then last week, Scott stood up here on New Year's Eve, and he talked about a tent. He talked about our bodies as temples and how that represented the tabernacle, the place where God dwelt, and that God now dwells in us. And so here we are in 2 Corinthians, and in those first two verses, Paul makes reference again to a tent, to our bodies as an earthly tent. And he makes reference to the fact that our bodies are weak and broken and fragile. And yet, while we're weak and fragile and broken, we're a vehicle for something that's powerful and vehicle for something that's profound. For something not of this old world, but for something that's completely new. We're a vehicle, we're a vessel for God himself. And Paul is telling the Corinthians, look, I'm beaten and I'm broken and I'm bruised and I've been shipwrecked. But I have something. I have a message that is greater than any beatdown I've ever experienced. I also think it's interesting that Paul mentions our bodies as earthly tents because Paul knows a thing or two about tents. And we know that because of the book of Acts 18, we know that Paul was a tent maker. I think it's interesting that Paul was in the business of making tents, making earthly tents that people would dwell in. And isn't it interesting that Paul is now in the business of proclaiming a new message, a message that we are now tents in a sense. We are now something in which God can dwell. We are someone in which God can dwell. And so while we have this physical shell, this physical tent that often has broken and has scars, we are also the spiritual shell, the spiritual tent in which God lives and dwells and makes us new altogether. Now, some of you are thinking, I get, I've heard that, John. I've heard that being in Christ makes us new, that we are made new. But I still feel pretty old, right? We often feel like our old selves because we still see the scars and we see the breaks and the bruises. And so we think, yeah, it sounds great to be made new, but I just don't know that it's happening for me. And so we often doubt that we can be made new, but things are made new all the time, I promise you. Think about it. If you haven't noticed, it's been a bit chilly in central Indiana lately. I, for one, do not think that temperatures should have a negative sign in front of them. If they do, we should just shut everything down, take the day off, and wait for the temperatures to rise again. Um, but thank God Almighty that these temperatures are not going to last. And we know that because this is just a cycle. These temperatures are not going to last. The ground is going to thaw soon. The grass is going to be green again. The trees are going to bud. And the flowers are going to push through the dirt. And then there's a picture of this little guy. He reminds us of a new creation. Because this little guy is going to turn into this little guy. And that little guy can't crawl back into its cocoon to become a caterpillar again. It's been made new. It's a new 
creation. My daughter Emma is here this morning. Emma, come on up. I, I refer to Emma as M. You can too. Like. So this is M, um, and M was made new. I know because I was there. She was made new. There wasn't a copy of her, and, and we said, you know, I'll take, I'll take one of those. She was made new and made unique. How old are you? Nine years old. Emma's nine years old. All of you in this room, now some of you it might take a little bit longer stretch to, to remember this, but all of you in this room were at one time nine years old. At one time you were made new and you grew. And at one point in your life, you were nine years old. And then you live your life and you continue to change and you continue to be made new. Thanks, kiddo. We continually are being made new in hopes that we might bring a new message and a new hope to an old world that loves to tell itself that being made new is not possible. Paul, who was Jewish, it's interesting to think about this. Paul was Jewish. He knew the Old Testament scriptures well. And so one of the books that he would have known was the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, there are the words, there's nothing new under the sun. Under the sun. And yet, here in his letter to the church in Corinth, he says, You are made new. Paul was Jewish, and Paul knows the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, There, there, the word, there are the words, There's nothing new under the sun. And that's why I think it's fascinating because in his letter, Paul says, You are made new. And I think he's an authority on that because Paul was once Saul. Saul was made new through this Christ. And he became Paul. And Paul says that like him, you guys are made new. And he can say that because something new has happened through this Christ. And because something new has happened, something new must now happen, as N.T. Wright puts it. Something new has happened, and so something new must now happen. And we are a part of bringing that something new to the world. Which leads us to something else that I think Paul is hitting on in this text, and that's verse 18. In verse 18, it says, God has reconciled us to him through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I take pause for a minute at that phrase because I look at the world in 2018 and I'm not sure I want the responsibility of the ministry of reconciliation. I'm not sure I want that responsibility. I'm not sure I want to be in the business of reconciling in the world today. And I don't say that because it's not important. I don't say that because it's not essential. I say that because I look at that responsibility and think it's pretty huge. It seems impossible. It seems pretty daunting to bring reconciliation to the world today. I look at the world and all its brokenness, and I think, what in the world am I supposed to do? I look at the world and all its brokenness, and I look at us and say, what are we supposed to do? How can we change any of that? And Paul reminds us that we have a message to share with this world, a message that things are not always going to be this way, a message of a new creation, a message of hope, and a message of reconciliation. We're supposed to remind people that the unwinnable has been won in Christ. The impossible has been made possible in Christ, and that's the message that we have to share. A new kind of message for a world that loves to wallow in the old, right? And it's because of this new message, this new creation, 
that things like terrorism and things like racism and things like abuse and pain and harassment don't scare me as much. I'm not as afraid of situations that seem unwinnable, and I'm not afraid of, as much afraid of, of situations that seem impossible because Christ has defeated the unwinnable. He's defeated death, and he's made the impossible possible. Now, on that note, I think it's important to remember when we look at all these huge problems in our world to remember that we have to start somewhere small. Let's not kid ourselves into thinking that starting with our hearts is too small when it comes to all these huge problems. In verse 19, Paul says that we are to be bringing the message of reconciliation to the world. We're to be telling people that the impossible is possible and that the unwinnable is able to be won. Because I'll tell you, I do not have the answer for these problems. I don't have the answer to all the racial divide in our country. I don't have the answer to the political mess in our world. I don't have the answer to terrorism and to shootings and abuse and harassment. I don't know the right laws that we need to pass to make those things disappear. I don't know the right answer to immigration problems and things like that. But I do know that we don't just have a terror problem. We don't just have a race problem. We don't just have a political problem. We have a heart problem. And I might not have the answers to these things. You might not have the answers to these things, but I know the answer to the problem underneath them. And that starts here. And so let's not kid ourselves into thinking that starting with the heart is too small, because it's not. Let's not kid ourselves into thinking that giving this message of reconciliation to our neighbor is too small. Because it's not the least we can do, that's the most we can be doing, is sharing with our neighbor the truth of reconciliation, the truth of a man named Jesus. And what are we supposed to tell our neighbor? Well, after we get to know them, after we've earned that ability to talk to them, we might share those words that, that I've got the answer to the most impossible situation in your life. I have the answer to what seems like the most unwinnable situation in your life. That doesn't mean life's going to be easy, but I have an answer. And in verse 21, Paul shares that answer. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the answer that we're to give. Jesus is the answer. Jesus, this baby that we just celebrated, has made all things new. And so don't ever think that what you have to offer is too small. Don't ever think that what you have to offer is too little. The message that we have to share, this message of reconciliation, is what brings about new things. The message that we have to share is what brings about new realities. The message is what brings a heaven to this broken mess of an earth, and this message builds a new creation, builds a new kingdom. Not a kingdom built on kings and queens, but a kingdom built on caring and selflessness. A kingdom of hope, a kingdom of love, and a kingdom of new beginnings and new creation. And so in Christ, we are made new. Maybe another way to think about that or, or to phrase that is in Christ, we have a reset button. And as I was thinking about that, I couldn't help but think about this. Uh, for my eighth birthday, so I was just a little bit younger than my daughter. For my eighth birthday, uh, my parents, who are amazing, gave me one of these a Nintendo, a Nintendo Entertainment System. 
And from the day I got that, I played it night and day, and I only had one game to play. Anybody know what that game is? Super Mario Brothers. That's all I could play, day and night. I rescued the princess a thousand times. And I played it, and I played it, and I played it. And the Nintendo had several amazing features, one of which uh, is the fact that it only had two buttons on it. It had a power button, and it had a reset button. It's pretty great, because if you're playing Mario, and things aren't going your way, reset. And the game starts over, you get all your lives back, and you start at the beginning. And I thought about that for a little bit, and thought, how great would it be if our lives came equipped with that reset button. One of the other amazing features of the Nintendo Entertainment System was, and I still have my Nintendo, by the way, that my parents gave me 30 years ago. Um, I still have it, and I can still play it. It fires up, and it works. But every now and then, when you put a game in, sometimes you get a blue screen. Sometimes it's a little glitchy. But there's a solution. You pop the cartridge out. What do you do? You blow on it, and you put it back in the Nintendo, and it works. And so because of that, there's a whole generation of people that grew up with a Nintendo, like myself, who think that blowing on things solves problems. <laughs> Not long ago, I had my telephone, my telephone, my cell phone, whatever, I don't know. I had my phone and the little ports on the bottom of it. They weren't working quite right when I would plug stuff in, and so I was blowing on it. And my daughter looked at me, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, don't worry, it'll work. <laughs> we have this, this thinking that that's going to somehow fix things. And even as I thought about that, I thought about Genesis and how God breathed life into us, created us, created something new. And I thought about the beginning of Acts, when the Spirit blew through the church and I think about us and the hope that we have that the Spirit would blow through this place and change us and make us new. We often use January 1st as our reset button, don't we? This magical opportunity for things to be different, for things to change. Well, Paul's reminding us this morning that we have a reset button. We have a January 1st in Christ. We have an opportunity to be made new because through this Christ, something new has happened. And so this morning, we remember that we are made new. This morning, we remember that the impossible has been made possible and that the unwinnable is now able to be won. And how are we going to remember that? By coming to this table. By coming to this table together, remembering that God became a baby. And that baby became a man. And Paul says that that man became sin, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. Something new has happened. And so something new must now happen. Through him living in us, and through us bringing a message of reconciliation to our neighbor and to the world. And so this morning we remember and are made new. Amen.